This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, across the way is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome Monday Night Football doubleheader going on as we are recording this. Another week of college football in the books. So much to break down. How are you doing this evening? I'd be doing a little bit better if I wasn't <laughs> going up against Stefan Diggs this week, who, uh, as we started the show, caught his third touchdown pass. And um, that matchup's now gone from a feeling okay about it to a nail biter so we'll, we'll record this show and i'll check on it at the end and i'm just gonna cross my fingers yeah if you were playing stefan diggs tyreek hill waddle, lamar yeah. jackson jalen waddle to, uh, you're probably to uh you're probably on the losing end of uh of your fantasy matchups this week unless you had one of them on the other side to kind of balance uh it out a little bit uh, but, but let's start with the college football. We'll, we'll get to some NFL talk because I think there's almost more intrigue in looking at the rookie report and the dynasty stock report this week than there is in terms of the NFL draft report and the Debbie slant. It was kind of a ho-hum week in terms of matchups in college football. I don't think there was a lot we were able to kind of take away from this week in terms of individual prospects. Uh, versus, you know, high-level opponents. I don't think anything stood out drastically this week. Like, I feel like we had a lot of stuff to really digest those first couple weeks of the season. But let's kind of get right into it. And and I think we start right at the running back position. And you've talked about him. We talked about him in the running back preview show. We talked about him after, you know, his first performance. But your boy out of Minnesota, you know, Mo Ibrahim, 23 rushes, 202 yards, and three touchdowns. You know, he's fully back, and he is instantly picked up where he left off last year after that great opening week against Ohio State. And, yeah, on film, I had my question marks about, you know, what were his special traits. And you know what? I don't think he has any special traits, but he's starting to basically check off boxes as just being – above average, good at just about everything. And you put that all together and we know the fastest or the best athlete doesn't make the running back position. You know, like there's been so many great running backs who that's not the case. And, and we mentioned him last week, James Robinson. I mean, look what James Robinson's doing. He's basically pushing Travis Ethian to a minimized role compared to what we all thought because of just how good he does just about everything in terms of the small stuff, in terms of being a good NFL running back. And, Mo Ibrahim is going to be an interesting case study, I think, that he's not going to blow up a combine or a pro day, and he doesn't have any you know, traits that jump off the page at you, but he's just really good. His natural run instincts, really good. His vision, his patience, you know, his natural forward lean, picking up yards, contact balance, you know, and I know he's one of your guys. And, and to see this performance this week, another two, a 200-yard, three-touchdown game, you know, we, I felt that we had a start there because we've kind of talked about him a little bit and he's not really getting a lot of national attention yet. And he might not for most of this year because he is looked at as a guy, an older prospect coming off a major injury, you know, but he's going to work his way, I think, into the mix of being, you know, even if he doesn't make it to day two, being one of those guys who's in the mix early on day three potentially. And then we've seen guys like Damian Pierce kind of, 
win the starting job right out of it, you know, and people think Zamir White down the line could be, you know, a starter in Las Vegas. So, you know, early day three draft capital for a running back is just fine, you know, because not a lot of guys even go in the top two rounds. So, so why don't we start there, Jeff? Thoughts on Ibrahim and, and what he continues to put on tape for us? Well, I, I mean, you mentioned James Robinson, and I think that's one of those names to put out there, you know, a very instinctual runner, you know, I think instinctual, you know, I'd rather hark back to what our, our friend Matt Waldman is kind of harping on this season, which is, you know, instinct is learned skill, practiced skill, and it's just all of that developing at the speed of instinct. Um, and, and, you know, maybe he's not fast with his feet. You know, maybe it's not a speed thing. Maybe it's not a burst thing. Although I think he's got enough burst for me. It's it's the processing speed, which, you know, honestly, at this point in the NFL game, like processing speed is probably one of the most important things for an athlete. And and I think that's what you're seeing there with Ibrahim. Um, just incredibly impressed. And honestly, you know, I was always rooting for him because he feels like an underdog already with the athleticism. But like coming off the Achilles injury, like you just cannot help but want to see great things for this kid. I don't, you talk about it, you know, he doesn't have a calling card. There's still some questions about what his combine is going to look like. What is his draft capital going to look like? So it's, you know, I'm really tempted to just get out over my skis here and just be like, this guy gets it. He knows how to run the football. And I think you put him in any NFL backfield and he's going to look good. He's going to look like James Conner, but that's not how the NFL works these days it's 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 just not it it should be but it's not and so I want to see Ibrahim succeed and I think he's still got an uphill battle to get there unless there's something that we're just not seeing from like a film perspective on the artificial things that will raise his draft capital right it's it's artificial but you know you run a fast 40 and you're going to get drafted 50 spots higher that's just the way it is um so I, that's the thing that, you know, I just kind of gives me a little bit of a heavy heart as I get excited about this kid, because from a runner perspective, from a football player perspective, like, I think he's what you want your running back to look like. But, you know, again, where's he going to go, right? He If he goes to Kyle Shanahan, right? We, saw, we said that about Trey Sermon, right? And then you go to a place where they don't even value that at all. They They just want speed and then that that's what your career's like now you're in ud you know you're a uh cut player who's picked up off of waivers and inactive on game days so that's not that not his fault he he's doing all he can do to make his case and i'll I'll still stump for him um but it's just one of those things that i think we have to put it into context of what it is first and then uh go ahead look at him watch him be a fan root for him and you know, consider him the underdog and and see how far he takes it. Yeah. And I mean, and yes, I think NFL teams are looking for special traits when they're drifting a guy in like the top 
in round one for a running back for sure. Top 50 maybe for a running back for sure. But let's not also lose sight of that Tyrion Davis Price went in the third round this year, right? And and Damian Pierce went in the fourth round. And I, I think we could both say with both of those guys pretty definitively, they don't have any special traits. They have, they have, they have things that are intriguing about them for sure, but there's nothing standing out about them that's a special trait. So so I do think after you get out of like that those top two rounds, Teams are looking for certain guys that, and it's not about, oh, he has a special trait, right? It could just be like, this guy's got really good vision. He would fit our scheme perfectly. He's the exact complement we need. Like, like let's just say hypothetically, like Buffalo wanted to get in the market for another running back and move on from like Singletary and Zach Moss. Like, oh, who would pair or who would complement well with James Cook? We'll take another back in the third round. Like that. Abraham could be that guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and there's other teams that maybe have somebody like, you know, who they think could play that James Cook, you know, facsimile or, you know, or what Travis Ethian might be for Jacksonville. And now James Robinson's healthy or if James Robinson wasn't healthy. So, so I do think, yeah, not having a special trait might limit an opportunity for a running back to go in that like top two rounds. But I, I, don't, I think once you get to round three, we've seen too many guys now over the years go in that mid to late part of round three that I don't think had special traits or special calling card. And and so I, I do think there's there's room for him to climb up, right? And and no one thought Price last year was going to go third. No one thought, you know, even when the year started last year, no one thought Damian Pierce was in the mix to be an early day three type guy. So, so I do think there's some upward mobility that maybe he could. Now, it's an interesting draft class because we do know it does have some top end talent. It does have some guys with some special traits, but are they all going to declare? Is the NFL going to think as highly of them as maybe the Devi and draft Twitter community does right now? Those are, those are to be determined, right? To, to kind of see how that falls. So I think it's going to be a really interesting to kind of see this next, this other wave of running backs who weren't getting a lot of attention early in the, you know, the college football year and before the season started, can somebody emerge from that group? And I think Ibrahim's the guy we'll be following closely. And another name that's even further down the radar, who me and you have been having some conversations off air with, is Evan Hull out of Northwestern. He's 5'11". He's 210 pounds. He's a fourth-year junior. This past week, he had 103 yards rushing and a touchdown. Week one, he had 119 yards rushing. And week two, he had an explosive game of 65 yards rushing for a touchdown, but then he had 14 catches for 213 yards. So there was this, he's kind of like been putting together this really interesting package at the running back position. And he's a guy that's really on no one's radar. I I watched some of that game two weeks ago. And he intrigued me, got stopped at like the one yard line and, and Northwestern didn't get in on like the final play or fumbled as he was going into the end zone. And he's a guy that I kind of want to get eyes on, do a little bit more of a deep dive because, you know, those stats are a little bit, you know, jumping off at the page, especially with the versatility of receiving and runner. Any thoughts on Hull as a guy that we kind of got to, you know, check in on and, and, and get some more eyes on in terms of our of, of film analysis to kind of see if maybe Northwestern's got a little bit of a diamond in the rough here who hasn't been getting much attention? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have to put a, a bookmark on this one for a deep dive. Um, I don't have enough from a deep dive. I, I kind of watched that game as he, you know, like you, you can't ignore a stat line of 200 receiving yards. You're like, oh, that's a running back. um and yeah he mean he was essentially he carried you talked about the fumble at the goal line but like if he had converted that he he single-handedly wins that entire game for northwestern so they know what they've got 
you know, he's, he's on all the, you know, the promotional material for Northwestern and everything. Like, I mean, you're not talking about some, you know, big money program or anything. So I think that's part of it, right? Like he's just, he's not going to get the national attention, but he's the offense. He's the focal point. And I, I wanted to kind of do the numbers, but I didn't get enough, enough time this morning before we hit record. But I'm like curious, just what percent of the offense is he like, is he like half the offense? Cause that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and so I think, um, I think when, again, as far as keeping things in mind, right. Um, we, we have to highlight these guys because we don't really know, you know, if the, if there's some people in the NFL who sees things a little bit different, or are these guys going to come in and maybe surprise us a little bit more when it comes to the pre-draft process, right? Because that's when, if they start making a little bit of noise in the pre-draft process, and then you get some people like looking back at them and saying, well, you know what, okay, they're fast, they're big, whatever. And then they start seeing, oh, he had a thousand yards in a pretty much a dumpster fire season for Northwestern last year. Oh, he had half the offense for a Northwestern team this year with, you know, a 200 yard receiving game. Okay. Like maybe this kid is interesting. And, you know, I think again, I don't think we're going to see him blow up the combine, you know, from an athleticism perspective, I think he's good. I think he's got enough. Um, maybe in the realm of Ibrahim though. Like, I don't think we're going to see anything deficient show up, but um, you know, and I think he's, he actually runs with pretty good power. Um, He has pretty competent roots. Um, I really like the way he goes and attacks the ball as a receiver. Just, you know, he, it was kind of like, you know, when I talked about Jahan Dotson, just snagging balls out of the air, like, uh, you know, like a Chris Godwin kind of player. Um, And I think we had somebody on that, uh, on our pre-draft profile and blanking on the name too. That was like that, but that he's running back and he can do that. I thought that was pretty impressive. So, you know, I'll leave us a little room um, to get a little bit more game tape on. Um, You know, he had another good game last year. They lost this Northwestern, Um, but you know, I want him to put a little bit on tape. He's definitely, he had a good year last year. I'd say he broke out, but he's putting together, he's building on that and putting together a better year this year. So I think, one of the things that we should do is is do one of those deep dives we did last year when we started talking about guys like uh, Kenneth Walker and uh, Jamison Williams. And as they were starting to make a, a few waves um, and it turns out, you know, we were right to start profiling them, you know, a couple weeks into the season. So, you know, maybe in a week or two, um, we'll get your tape, your, your eyes on the tape. Maybe we'll even get Matt in here and see what he thinks. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's the thing that, like, you you look for things that kind of jump out early in the season for you and to then start saying, okay, like, what we know in August is not what we know in April, right? Every year, there's so much change, right? Last year at this time, it was still, oh, Spencer Rattler's just off to a slow start. Sam Howell's off to a slow start, but they'll turn it around. We're just nitpicking. There's still going to be guys who go in the top five, and, and we see how that turned out, right? So, like, every year, a lot changes between what we think and what we see in August when we're watching film from the past years compared to what actually then transpires during the college football season and then leading into the NFL draft. So before we get away from running backs, a couple other things just to kind of make note of, uh, 
two smaller guys that we've talked about, like, you know, what type of workload could they handle at the next level? Uh, Devin A-Chain uh, against Miami this week in a big game for Texas A&M. You know, 22 touches, 18 rushes for 88 yards, four receptions for 42 yards. You know, those that, those 22 touches, you know, that goes back to the conversation I had with Dane Brugler before the year started. You know, the NFL is intrigued to see what type of workload he can carry. And I don't think an NFL team is going to draft him in mind next year with the idea of him carrying the ball or touching the ball 22 times a game. But it is nice to see that his college team, you know, wants to at least get him the ball that much. Like, because if his college team was so concerned about it where, you know, the, it's just not the same rigors of the NFL, it would have been concerned. Like, if his college team is only willing to give him 12 touches, well, what does that mean in terms of his NFL game? So it's nice to see him becoming more of the focal point. No one has really stepped up yet and taken any of the Isaiah Spiller role. You know, A-Chain is, is handling a heavy workload. This past week, we also saw Deuce Vaughn, 20 carries and eight receptions. I mean, that's a big week in terms of total touches for another guy who profiles more for, you know, a change of pace committee type guy, you know, maybe in that, you know, Darren Sproles S type of type of role, you know, so both of those guys handling heavy workloads this past week, Travis Dino, we've talked about him. He, he, I think in that USC offense, especially since they haven't played a lot of close games, I'll be interested if USC has ever pushed. And I'm not sure they're going to get pushed until the playoff, to be honest with you. You know, they might just steamroll through everybody until they potentially go undefeated and, and, and then face up probably against an SEC team in the playoff. If they were in a close game, would we see Dye's touches hit 16, 18, 20? Because this week it was 11 carries for 102 yards three catches for 36 yards. That's 14 total touches. I think that's probably the max for him at the NFL level, but we've seen him handle a heavier workload at Oregon. I'm sure he can do it at USC. You know, are they just not asking him to right now because they have a stable of players there and they haven't really been in close games, but I do continue to like what I see out of die as a, as a guy at the next level who could be that space type player uh, and really intriguing as, as that satellite back. And I think that's what die offers to the table those are kind of the running backs, Jeff, that, that I kind of want to hit on. Is there anybody else that you want to mention just in, in, in you know, rapid fire before we kind of maybe transition over to some running uh, wide receivers? No, just that what they profile in, even if they show some more work on the field, um, such as Deuce Vaughn with 28 touches, like an NFL team is just not going to give him that much. Um, and so I think for A-Chain, even though we're seeing him get – somewhat of a feature role here. I do think we need to see him, you know, just give a, get a little bit more on his frame um, so that a team could find, can be comfortable. And I think maybe 195 somewhere in like it, it, that's a kind of a big jump, but that's, I think in his, in the realm of outcomes for him, I think he can do it. uh, But that'll be, the biggest thing that I'm following. And I hate, I hate to be one of those people who are just so centered on size, but for the running back position and for, it's really less about what I think and more about what coaches think, what other teams think and coaches are already inclined to split that down into a committee and he's got to do everything he can to prove that it's, it's something that he can handle on his own. Yeah, I mean, there, there's numbers, there's benchmarks that still NFL teams want to see with things. And the benchmarks have changed a little bit. Like smaller and, wide receivers are very much in vogue now compared to what it used to be. Smaller quarterbacks are more acceptable. So well, there, it, it there's might not reduced impact draft benchmarks. capital anymore, yep. though, right? Because like we see guys like James Cook going, and it might not, and Devontae Smith, right? Like 
it won't it may not impact his draft capital at all because they see them as players worth investing in and integrating into the offense but when it comes to how they deploy them yes. on the team that's that's where you know some coaches are creative about it i mean the deuce fawn is um comped often to do staley right like the um you know the jitterbug out there and and that's I always think it's crazy when and funny when people comp to pretty much all-time greats, but you do see it on the tape, right? But again, you know, it's it takes a special coach and landing spot to be able to to get the most out of it. I mean, is Alvin Kamara Alvin Kamara if he didn't land with Sean Payton? I, I have yep. no idea, right? Like, you know, is Josh Allen Josh Allen if he didn't land with Dayball? Yeah. So um anyway, this that's a tangent down for another line and definitely for uh you know, for the run up to, you know, to draft. So when we go through the whole pre-draft process, we can get into those conversations a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take this over to wide receiver. And the one name that I think really kind of jumps out the page and we haven't talked about him, you know, yet this year, you know, during the in-season shows, but we did talk about him in the wide receiver preview. He is a name that also came up uh, when we interviewed Dane Brugler and that's Rayshie Rice out of SMU this past week, 11 for 193 yards in week one, he had 166 yards and a touchdown. In week two, he had 132 and two. You know, he was a he's a guy that has not gotten a lot of national attention. But Dane Brugler of the Athletic, who I think is as good as there is in terms of scouting and covering the college landscape, you know, he had him as his number one senior wide receiver. And he said NFL teams were very intrigued. He was already on NFL teams' radars, and that was before this monster start to his season. So Rice is a guy that I don't think the Debbie community has been in on at all. He's an interesting name in the Debbie League where maybe you can get him if he, you know, if you have access to somehow picking him up or, you know, get him on your team, he's a guy that could be really of intrigue uh, because I think he is more highly regarded in NFL circles. If Dane was talking about him and at the end, he was already on NFL teams radars. And that was before he kind of was putting together a monster statistical year. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch too much SMU, but he's a guy who, you know, I liked when I watched him on film, when I, when I did the, you know, the wide receiver breakdown show. He was a guy that I looked at as a complimentary wide receiver with the upside to be a starter in three wide sets. I thought he could be a vertical slot or play that outside motion wide receiver. You know, I thought he had good to very good athleticism, speed, burst, acceleration, and explosiveness. I liked his route running and his footwork. I thought he showed separation quickness with yak ability and elusiveness in the open field. And he showed good ball skills and body control with the ability to adjust. So he only had 64 receptions for 670 yards last year. I mean, he's going to, he's going to get those numbers. Like, yeah, he's you know, almost there. Yeah. I mean, he's going to get, he's going to, yeah. I mean, he's going to, if he stays healthy, we're talking about a guy who's going to put up like 110 receptions for like 1400 yards. You know, it's going to be staggering numbers on top of, I already like the traits. So he's going to be a guy that, you know, 6-1-2-0-3, so, you know, nothing really, you know, of concern there. You know, that's, that's pretty solid in terms of height and weight, in terms of, you know, nothing that, that leads us to be concerned like he's too small or, or stuff like that. So Rice is a guy who I feel like I'm going to really want to circle back on because I like them but I didn't have him nearly as high as like Dame Brugler did. And and now with the, with what he's being put on tape early on this year, 
I'm going to want to go back and see like how, how this been produced. I know SMU has a good offense. They scheme up a lot of things, you know, is it just a lot of that product? It seems like it's too much production just to be schemed up. Like, you know, Not you don't, you don't that, put, right? yeah, you don't put up these type of stats without having, you know, being really impressive in, in around well, more well-rounded skill set. you know, with the stats he's putting up there. So Rice is a guy who I think, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be at the senior ball. I feel pretty confident already if he was high on Dane's senior list. I'm sure Jim Nagy has him penciled as one of the senior wide receivers. He's going to, you know, he's going to have down there in Mobile. So I, I think we're going to see a steady drumbeat for a guy like Rishi Rice the entire year, probably right towards Mobile. So I thought that kind of really stood out uh, this week, especially since we didn't get a chance to kind of talk about him uh, over the last couple of weeks. Do you have any thoughts on Rice or any other, you know, draft eligible wide receivers that maybe we haven't kind of brought up yet that we kind of should have on our radar uh, based on, on what they've been doing? Yeah. So, I mean, as far as Rice goes, you know, I I just I kind of noticed just how much he was blowing up. And and this is usually, you know, Sunday, Monday, you know, if I find some time, you know, at lunch or whatever during the workday um, to get some eyes on game film tape and just watch the condensed film and see what I like about it. Um, and I haven't gotten a chance to do that yet. And I, you know, I might miss my boat, but, um, you know, again, like, uh, Evan Hall, that'll probably be one of the guys we circle back around on. I mean, you know, we're talking a little bit of different circumstances, but Brandon, IU level, you know, just arrival on the scene. Um, and there's so many players ahead of him now paving the way as seniors, like, completed their senior year in college, went to the NFL and are now just entering in and just translating their skills immediately. Right. Um, this, we talked a little bit about the scheme stuff. Again, I have to put my eyes on it, but like you see guys like Josh Downs get schemed. You see guys like Jacob Cowing get schemed. Right. And, and they have the size frame kind of concerns, right? Rishi Rice could be one of those guys that surprises people as a Brandon Ayuk level sixth or seventh wide receiver off the board before other names that, you know, have been on, you know, maybe more hyped out radars. So, yeah, I mean, that's just, I'm, I'm bookmarking it as, you know, maybe if Jermaine Burton, who's really struggling um, is kind of falling off my radar and, and goes back to school for a year or something um, that might be my new draft crush. If, if everything you say is true. Um, I want to highlight two, na- two other names that have just been, you know, really productive right out the gates for three weeks now. And that's Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State and Charlie Jones out of Purdue. And I don't know, just eyeballing this, we're talking about guys with, you know, 30 plus catches and 400 yards, um, three, 400 yards. It's just, I'm, I'm going to put them on my watch list, essentially, and say, you know, where do these guys fit in? How do they win? Um, that's that's my primary concern right now is what do the guys do to how do they play on the field, how they win. And then, um, and then we'll take, then we'll see what happens from there. But um, those are names to just know um, to listen and see if there's any uh, um, stock rise or fall after that. Yeah. I mean, those are two guys that, you know, their, their production and their statistical output over the early portion of the year, you know, is, is been very impressive that, you know, the, these are the kind of things that, you know, listen, there's hundreds and hundreds of college football players, 
you know, and, and we try to narrow it down to the, you know, the 20 or 30 guys that we head into a college football season that we want to have eyes on that guys come out of nowhere. And, and, and these are the games that we're looking for guys that, that make us want to go to the film. And like, sometimes we have to wait on film, even being available for some of these under the radar guys, you know? And, and I think two guys right there that you brought up in Hutchinson and Jones are, are two guys that if they continue to do what they're doing, they're going to be guys that warrant us going to the film and doing those deep dives. And are they guys that we, that could be in the mix for, you know, top four or five round picks or are they more guys that you're talking about, you know, you know, you know, UDFA types. And, and I think that's where the early portion of the college football season really allows us to kind of look for those guys that, that maybe have gotten lost in the shuffle, whether now they're finally getting an opportunity or maybe it was a scheme change or, you know, whatever the case may be a transfer, you know, we, we use this portion of the year to kind of find those guys. And that's kind of the fun of the college football season. Like, cause you don't really have that in the NFL, right? I mean, for the most part, nobody comes out of nowhere very, very rarely in the NFL, but in the college landscape, we see it all the time happen. And, and that's kind of the allure of it. So those are two interesting names that, that we will circle back on for sure. Let's take this over to the quarterback position. And, and a lot of the quarterbacks, you know, the matchups this week were very ho-hum. I don't think it was anything that really, you know, Will Levis against Youngstown State. Like, I, I don't think many NFL evaluators are going to use this game to evaluate Will Levis. And same thing about C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. I mean, we can get it in Anthony Richardson again. It wasn't a, it was a very ho-hum performance again from him, uh, you know, and also two interceptions. But we've talked a lot about him. We've already said we're going to kind of hit the pause button a little bit, you know, kind of let some time kind of go through before we kind of continually to circle back every single week and talk about him because we know the traits are there. We know the things that he's special at. We know all the things he needs to work at. Uh, but the the guy that I thought is the guy that was in a matchup this week where NFL evaluators are going to go back and look at the film was Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami. And they faced off against Texas A&M in the biggest matchup of last weekend, you know, and Van Dyke's only a redshirt sophomore. So he's a guy that's getting some round one buzz, but he's also a very young player and didn't start a lot. You know, he went, he, he took over the job, you know, some point uh, during the season last year, you know, but he he's gotten a lot of round one buzz. If you're someone who who's crazy like me, who likes what, looking at those like 2023 mock drafts, like a week after the or days or weeks after the the previous NFL draft, you saw Van Dyke on most of those lists, and and those lists really should just be used more as like a watch list. But you saw Van Dyke on almost all of those watch lists as a guy who could be top ten, top twenty, top fifteen. You know, so so he's a guy that is definitely getting a lot of attention and this past week 21 of 41 only 217 yards only 5.3 yards per attempt you know this was probably you know one of Miami's biggest games of the year against Texas A&M and it was a game that Van Dyke really struggled in I mean he didn't make it he didn't have any turnovers but you'd like to see him kind of perform in this setting uh so this is a game that I do think if Van Dyke goes on to declare People are going to look back at this game. So I, I do think this game, he struggled. You know, he, he struggled. He wasn't able to get anything going. You know, Miami, for the most part, was completely shut down in this game. And and, and Van Dyke, you know, couldn't get anything going, uh, especially pushing the ball vertically down the field because that's, you know, that's part of Van Dyke and who he is in terms of what his best traits are. He can push the ball into tight windows. He can push the ball vertically down the field. And he could just not get that going at all this game. So, 
it is something worthwhile. He wasn't atrocious or anything like that and didn't make a ton of poor decisions, but you would have liked to see him, you know, make some plays, uh, you know, to keep Miami a little bit, you know, more intriguing that game in terms of trying to maybe steal that win against Texas A&M. Just, you know, they were unable to. So I, I do think Van Dyke, a little bit of a stock down that, you know, plenty of time for him to continue to bring it back up. And especially such as a young player, you know, there's less pressure on him as a redshirt sophomore declare, you know, than guys, you know, like Levis, who are obviously are seniors and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so I thought that was worthy of note. Jeff, any thoughts on Van Dyke or any of the other big name quarterbacks that kind of, you know, this week kind of just checked off boxes for the most part uh, in terms of their inferior opponents this past weekend? Yeah, I mean, you take notice when, you know, Bryce Young or Levis kind of go for two interceptions and games they shouldn't be throwing interceptions but again like this is you know we'll we'll look at the the matchups that matter right and and i think for, as far as van dyke goes um you know he's a name that is on my radar um unless there's a really intriguing anthony richardson like tool set and maybe not anthony richardson like but you know what is what is it that um has what is it fueling the round one buzz in NFL circles? Is it just you know a little bit of hype, a little name, a couple agent speak, or what is it? I, if there's something there, material that's just not allowed to quite shine yet in in Miami, and he does choose to go because he doesn't think that's gonna next year is gonna make any more difference. All right, like let's take a look. Maybe we find that kind of diamond in the rough a little bit where you know, it's a situation where it's a good player who isn't in the most optimal situation to thrive. That being said, you know, I think Miami's in one of those situations where the stock is building up and going back to school and building upon his skills might be what he ends up doing. So we'll have to wait until declaration day, but, um, but that's sort of my thoughts on Van Dyke is, is I'm just keeping an eye on it right now. Um, And I'm not really, jumping too far in one way or another. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best thing to do with a, with a younger player like that. Who's toolsy. And most of these, you know, after the top where obviously we, we have a lot more sample of Stroud of Bryce Young and even of Will Levis, that next wave of guys, whether it's Anthony Richardson and Tanner McGee and Tyler Van Dyke, I think that's most lists have those three guys next. And then you even could throw guys like, you know, DJ Ulangale and stuff like that there's a lot of raw tools and we're kind of seeing who could put it together and show more consistency in terms of, you know, the, the quarterbacking skill uh, that, that we're looking to see. Let's transition this to tight ends and tight ends continue to be very ho-hum. Even the top guys, Sam Laporte, only two catches, 13 yards this week, Michael Mayer, two catches, 10 yards, Notre Dame, you know, you know, after that performance in week one, when they hang tough with Ohio state and could have won that game, you know, how Notre Dame has really struggled to to get a lot going in terms of offense, and, and Mayer has done very little in that regard. But the one thing I want to make note of is where is Arik Gilbert? And, like, a guy who such a highly regarded recruit, then that really great freshman year, and then ever since then, like, it's just been one thing after another, you know, like, and, and then this year – 
we kind of thought maybe he was on the straight and narrow. Like it seemed like he was going to be an integral part, even though Georgia is loaded, especially even at the tight end position. But like Ari Gilbert is just like, he barely is getting any run. Like at this point, it's like, is he going to declare off of no production? Is he going to transfer again at this point? Like, is that even like feasible or, you know, like, I, I just don't know if it's even if, if it's even worth his time to transfer again. And if he does, does he go to another big school? Does he go to a smaller school and just like be like, I'm going to go there and just try to catch 90 passes. Like, you know, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how the rest of this year plays out with Ari Gilbert, because yeah, very talented player. I think he's got as high a ceiling of any of the draft eligible tight ends, but you also got to play like it's been it's going to be years now since he's been relevant if he doesn't do anything this year. Uh, so that's kind of the one thing that I wanted to bring up the tight end position. Jeff, any thoughts on Gilbert or anything else to tight ends or should I uh, transition over to Debbie Slant? I mean, with fantasy tight ends can come out of nowhere, too. So he might go in the fifth round of the NFL draft, just like a George Kittle fan knows he, you know, George Kittle went to. Yeah, it's just. um he will always have that potential. The biggest question is, will he have an opportunity? Um, but, you know, talking about opportunity right opposite him. And I think, you know, we should just jump right into the Debbie slant yep. since we're talking about, um, you know, Gilbert here. But what are just what about Brock Bowers, who had five catches, 121 yards and two touchdowns. So, you know, we, we kind of caution like, you know, George is not about the stats. You know, you're you have to somewhat expect that you know, you're not going to have some monster to statistical season coming through. And, you know, Bowers is good enough to, you know, pretty much put all of that common sense, you know, out the window and just dominate. And so I, I, if you wanted to say he's a better prospect than Kyle Pitts, I mean, I have a hard enough time doing tight ends. These guys are pretty much wide receivers too. I, I couldn't really fight you on it. That's that's the question. But, uh, you know, and I maybe we'll get to him too in the, the NFL uh, draft report um, or the dynasty the report, dynasty stock report. But even then, you can have a generational prospect who may not be all they're hyped up to be. And and not to say that, again, this isn't on the, this isn't on the player, but, you know, if you're talking about turning this into a fantasy lens and, and game, right? It's a recipe that requires more than just an individual athlete to be very good at what they do. And that's one of those things, especially for the tight end position that is incredibly hard to project. So what happens to Brock Bowers is probably my most intriguing Debbie question. And that won't be answered anytime soon. Yeah, and and listen, I do think, you know, I had Ari Gilbert at, you know, cuz the Devi, my Devi ranks are very much projection based, like they're film based, but with the projection of what they could be at the next level, and I usually, you know, trend more towards guys who are more draft eligible than a guy I got to wait another year on, but Bowers I jumped up to the the one slot and and then May or two and then I, I pushed Gilbert down the three just because of the unknown. And like you said, like yeah, it's a year off before Bowers is even draft eligible, but he's going to be a guy that we're going to be talking about on the level of Kyle Pitts. And it does bring up an interesting question because like, you know, as good as Kyle Pitts I still think is going to be 
Atlanta passed on elite offensive linemen. Atlanta passed on Jamar Chase. Like, you know, like, so there, there's, there's Jalen Waddle. Like, you know, so there's aspects of it. Every time we see what tight ends go early, do they ever really live up? It's such a hard position to transition to the NFL game. And then especially these guys who are more pass catcher than, than full tight end, you know, they're not going to have those giant mismatches, right? Because the NFL is all about matchups. You know, they're not going to have that. So Bowers opens the door for that same conversation that when he gets there, he's going to be going round one, but does he warrant going top five? Does he warrant going top 10? Or are we going to start realizing that NFL teams, you know, they draft these guys, but these guys aren't coming in and look at the impact wide receivers have in the game quickly we're not seeing that at a tight end, right? It's just, we don't see that. If anything, we see a long, a much longer process before they really are impact players. And we see receivers immediately making huge impacts pretty regularly now year to year at the wide receiver position. So I do think that in terms of his overall Debbie, you know, stock, I still think he's the number one tight end, but trying to pencil him in with the running backs and the wide receivers, I do think becomes a little bit tricky because of, you know, how the time it sometimes takes to transition. So that's the thing about Bowers, you know, great player. He's got the full package, going to be highly regarded, you know, on a pits like level, but you know, that positional, you know, importance or the, the impact in terms of how quickly they transition, I think is a legitimate question. The only other guy I wanted to bring up in the Debbie slant was Will Shipley, 139 yards rushing on only 12 carries, uh, two touchdowns. He's a guy who, Listen, Clemson's offense last year was so poor that I feel like Shipley, while he didn't get lost in the Debbie circles at all, I feel like he might have not garnered the recognition and attention that he warranted because he was playing in a team that really was kind of stuck in the mud last year in terms of, of offensively. And now we're kind of seeing as Clemson starting to, you know, round, not back into that elite offense yet, but at least turning the corner. Uh, we're starting to see Shipley put together more impressive film and more impressive statistics. And I think he's a guy that we're going to constantly see rise, you know, into be one of those top underclassmen running backs. So Jeff, any thoughts on Shipley or any other underclassmen you want to bring up here uh, to close out the heavy slant? No, I'm, I've got my eyes on a couple big performances, but let me see what they do in follow-ups. Um, one final thought on, you know, the tight end position as a whole you talked about the NFL teams and what they're going to invest in. You know, I think there was some arguments talked about with Kyle Pitts. You know, is he worth a top five pick or a top 10 pick even when you talk about the tight end position and what it's worth to NFL teams? And now I think the tight end position is like a queen on a chessboard. They're extremely versatile and they can unlock an offensive scheme. That being said, they're not paid that way. Right. And if you look from a strictly financial perspective, tight end is is kind of down near the running back tier versus up near the edge tier offensive line tackle tier even wide receiver tier when you get the elite ones quarterbacks for sure so that's just going to be the the interesting question do you get that unicorn that unlocks your offense but it may not be the most savvy gm financial move when you're talking about rookie contracts um why don't we go ahead and just um run over to the nfl rookie report because we've got a lot to talk about here and maybe we can Kenneth Walker had his debut. I watched the game. I'm a 49ers fan. He actually looked pretty good. He's not, they did, Seattle didn't run the ball a lot. 
there's not a lot to go out from here. You mentioned Damian Pierce as an RB1. I think it's worth noting, just after we raised some caution flags on him yesterday, he had all of the carries for Houston. So just watch that, how that unfolds. You, you thought he would lead that backfield before the end of the year. It might be from week two on, who knows. But we have some really big breakout names that we have to hit on. And and let me just let me just start us off here. Garrett Wilson, 14 targets, eight catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns. And he was the guy in that offense. I mean, we love Elijah Moore. Corey Davis, you know, had a big play. You know, even even the running backs, you know, showed up and and pitched in, but Garrett Wilson was the guy. And not to be outdone, Drake London comes in, tough matchup against the Rams, 12 targets, eight catches, 86 yards, a touchdown, two-point conversion. And, you know, we were talking about Kyle Pitts. I mean, Kyle Pitts had two catches for 19 yards. Drake London was doing all the heavy lifting for Atlanta. And so we just talked about how last week maybe we're not going to have a uh, massive – well, I don't think we're going to have a massive Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase-like season, even with these guys. But we talked about how it might be kind of wide receiver three, right? Your uh, your Devonta Smith kind of maybe get a thousand yards, five or six touchdowns. What these guys are are showing with these stat lines and just the way that they were dominating on the field is that they may be more integral to their teams right away, right now, and could be just locked in your starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with Gary Wilson because he was my number one wide receiver of that draft class. I comped him for all of last year to Calvin Ridley. I thought that's who he reminded me of in terms of his versatility to win at all three levels of the field, his his his, his route running ability. And, you know, he went to the Jets and then, you know, I was a little concerned. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it. none of the landing spots were pristine for any of the wide, the, the first round rookie wide receivers, you know, and then it looked like he kind of might be, you know, slow to get going because they, they re-signed Braxton Barrios. They seemed like he, they really wanted to play him. You know, Elijah Moore was getting a lot of hype. Corey Davis was still there to a decent sized contract. And then you quickly realize there's a massive talent disparity between Garrett Wilson and all those other receivers. And that's not to say, you know, that's going to ruffle feathers on the people who love Elijah Moore. And I like Elijah Moore. I think he's a very good player. But Elijah Moore ne- is not a number one. He's never going to be a number one. I, even And it's not a size thing because there's, you know, number one wide receivers come in all shapes and sizes now. It's just I didn't think that Elijah Moore profiled as that. I thought he profiled more as a number two. And I think Gary Wilson, you know, to me, I already made adjustments to my positional dynasty rankings to make sure I had enough of a gap between Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. And it mostly involved moving Garrett Wilson up even more than where I had him because I did have him like eight to 10 spots higher than Elijah Moore. And I, I don't think that even is enough. I think there should be a bigger gap there. I think Elijah Moore could be a good player. I think Garrett Wilson could be a great player. And I think, you know, He's the guy that I think, you know, we don't know, right? The, the, the quarterback situation there, it leaves a lot to be desired when Zach Wilson comes back there. But now I think the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think he got, I think there's a lot of room for Garrett Wilson's role to still grow. I still think he's playing the third most snaps. I think by middle of the year, he's got to be running more snaps than any wide receiver on the team. And, and I think that's where it'll trend. And if that's the case, 
then maybe he could have those spiked weeks where he's a wide receiver too. And maybe he's, he doesn't finish that way. I still think maybe more wide receiver three is probably the best case scenario, but he, but his talent is, is of a guy that could impact because he, he's very versatile. He can win inside. He can win outside. He can win after the catch. He can win down the field. There's a lot to like about his game. You know, Matt was a fan of his for since he was like a freshman. We were talking about him here at Saturday Sunday. And and he was my he was my he was my top guy. So I, I really liked what I saw from him. And then Drake London, you know, listen, he was my number five guy. And I had questions about whether or not he could win on the outside. And he's already showing that he he's gonna be able to use his size combined with his quick feet, former basketball background, which we heard a lot about. He he's showing better already than I think I thought he was maybe going to translate. I thought I was maybe going to have some separation concerns, especially on the outside, not at the level of guys who I really was down on, like, you know, uh, Nikhil Harry or, or players like that, or the guy from Iowa state who I'm drawing a blank on, but, uh, yeah, Hakeem Butler, I think Hakeem Butler, uh, but what I like about him is is he's already commanding the alpha role there, which kind of leads us to that that conversation before about, you know, where's Kyle Pitts? Like Drake London's played in two games in his NFL career and it already looks like he's the guy like that, you know, Mariota's looking for and the team is looking for. And, you know, he's the one guy that I do think could maybe give us that wide receiver two type year because I think it's a, you know, the depth chart bad defense, a lot of comeback modes that I do think he could be the guy. And after he was drafted by Atlanta, you know, I did have him as my number one. By the time I did my rookie drafts, he was my number one wide receiver for, for, for dynasty. Right. Because I do think these guys were close and I, and I was basing it on, I thought he had the most immediate production early on. So, so I, I think I'm in, I think I was impressed with how quickly they became integral parts of their team in week two to put the performance they did. I think we're going to see both of those guys uh, continue to produce, not at that level on a weekly basis, obviously, but I think we're going to see those guys have more spiked weeks uh, because I do think that they're set up to be the, the most important part of that wide receiver depth chart. And Traylon Burks is still growing, but even him, he's starting to play more. He led, tonight yeah he had, uh, he had some good plays to start the game off yeah i mean that, and I think that game got a, out I, of hand now but yeah um, but i think it's a matter of when he becomes the alpha there you know yeah. jameson williams is going to be the really interesting because he's coming up this injury and then you know we're going to talk about him on ross and brown in a few minutes like he's gonna he's the only one that's going to come in and i think have a sidekick that's clearly definitively you know right now you can't say that you might say Jamison Williams is more naturally talented, but what Amon Ross put on tape now, you know, yeah. over a year and a couple games is, is, is remarkable that Jamison Williams doesn't step in and clearly it's the guy there, especially coming off of the injury, you know, so he's, it's going to be interesting to kind of see him Olave, you know, we can bring him up ton of air yards, ton of targets this week, you know, but they still got Michael Thomas there. They still got Alvin Kamara who missed this game due to injury. They, they signed Jarvis Landry. So, I like Chris Olave. I think he's going to have some spike spiked weeks. I just don't see as many this year, maybe as what we th- we're going to get out of Garrett Wilson or Drake London. So Jeff, any, any add on thoughts there to Wilson to London, if you want to, you know, expand upon Olave a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I had to, I, I think Wilson and London will probably lead the rookie wide receivers in fantasy points um, by the end of the year. I I think you're going to get what you talked about with Olave there, some spike weeks. Um, and I had to, I, injuries struck struck me hard and I had to start Jahan Dotson uh, this last weekend. And he might just help me survive this, this Stefan Diggs onslaught unless he scored another two more touchdowns while we've been recording. <laughs> Um, you know, I do think it's it's important that we do have some caveats here. So first, you mentioned it last week, but, you know, Joe Flacco, another 50 passes. Like, that, we're not going to see that every week. Also, we're not going to see Joe Flacco every week. Like, we still have a giant Zach Wilson-sized, and I know that's like a smaller-sized hurdle, but it's still a Zach Wilson-sized hurdle that we're going to have to get over for all of these wide receivers. Um and who's going to mesh with them? Is it going to be Elijah Moore? Because I think he is extremely talented and can offer, you know, very Emmanuel Sanders-like role for a team, right? Which is, I mean, if it's not 1A, it's 1B and and could be outperforming or really significantly siphoning off the, the sort of the Garrett Wilson production, especially in a potentially handicapped Jets offense. So, you know, I think it's enjoy it while you can. I mean, we literally just, we were, there was like a five-week stretch where Elijah Moore was the wide receiver two overall in in fantasy last year. So we, we got to be a little bit careful, uh, I think, going from, you know, going from too far from this. Like, I, the pass catchers are pretty talented. If the volume's up there, then, you know, go for it, Jets. I just, I still have some pretty major Zach Wilson concerns that is going to keep me, f- like, probably keep me from going all in and, and trying to like buy in on these guys on their way up because I, I do think we'll see a little bit more roller coasters and downs and maybe some buying windows down the line um, while they have to figure some of these things out. You know, Drake London, I think I finally had a lot of kind of go ahead of him at towards the end there, but he was my guy, my number one guy. And again, just loved his profile thought he'd be able to do what he's doing now. didn't think he'd displace Pitts, and I don't think he will. I think Pitts is going to be fine. But, um, you know, but for London to, to to be able to come in right away, and I I just don't see him disappearing in this offense. 75 yards week one, 86 yards week two. Like, you're going to get 1,000 yards from him this year. If, if you don't, I'm assuming an injury happens down the line somewhere. Um, so... Um, why don't we go ahead and just um, Jeff? You know, just you one had, quick, one quick yeah. thought. Uh, just because I watch the game so closely, whenever Wondell Robinson gets back, oh yeah, he's going to be a guy that we're talking about here pretty regularly on this, you know, NFL so. rookie report because Richie James is playing yeah. a massive role for the Giants right now. Who's it? David Sills was yeah. like supplanting Kader, uh, Kenny Galladay. Galladay, yeah. yeah. So yeah. like you know. Th- there's a back. There's a yeah, big, big. There's a Tony's big, not playing still. Like big. Yeah. Meat. There's a big, big. You know, amount of targets there. Dable seems to be running this scheme that he's kind of treating Daniel Jones. You know, very kid glovish. You know, very game manager. They're gonna keep things quick. They're gonna they're gonna use ability after the catch. But Richie James has been targeted an absolute ton in these two games that if Wanda doesn't get hurt, this is all Wandell. All, the, yeah. all this Richie James production would have been Wandell, and Wandell could probably do a lot more after the catch than a guy like Richie James. Uh, 
we see what Curtis Samuel's doing in Washington yeah. right now, that that very much could be Wandell. Ten targets, because, you know, mostly short stuff. Obviously, not going to be a guy who pushes too much down the field, but very much what Curtis Samuel's doing in Washington. That could be Wandell Robinson once he gets back from this injury. Just the way they're using Richie James and the lack of other receivers that they have right now and their lack of playmakers they have until Tony if he does fully integrate himself back in, they need playmaking ability. Wondell offers that. So he's going to be a guy that we're going to be talking about at some point this year, uh, him having a big spiked week, you know, eight, nine catches, 80 yards, a touchdown, you know, 40 yards rushing or something on a couple of jet sweeps or something. Uh, I think it's inevitable that, that we're going to trend there at some point this year. Um, so let's, let's, you were, you were having Dude, I love that call. I, abs- I mean, I got him on, I was one pick away from having him on every single one of my teams, <laughs> um, including Scott Fishbowl. Like I, you know, have him there too. So I, I'm really excited for that. I, I love that call. Um, I wanted to circle through because when you talked about Jamison Williams, you talked about Amon Ross St. Brown and him being a sidekick. And I don't think you could call Amon Ross St. Brown a sidekick after the tear. Like I think he's doing things that pretty much no other wide receiver has done. Maybe Cooper cup. Like that's kind of the only other person you could put in his stratosphere over the last, I think, eight games if you span back to last year. Just, you know, we said Hawkinson and Swift are going to come in and and take away a little bit of attention. It's Jared Goff. Maybe they'll run. Just 12 targets, both games, week one, week two. Um, you know, he was 64 and a, a, a touchdown. And this, you know, in 116 yards and two touchdowns and, he still gets used on the ground here and there too, 68 yards rushing last week. So I don't like, I, I, I don't think if, if you were being rational about it, like, could I, like Amon Ross St. Brown, maybe a top 15 dynasty wide receiver, like him or Michael Pittman, like that should be like, I, I think, 10 people, if you surveyed them, 10 out of 10 would go Michael Pittman, but that should probably be a question at least, right? Yeah, I mean, just just so you know, I bumped them up to 20, and I don't think it's high enough. And this is somebody that had reservations on Amon Ra, not his talent. And, you know, like I was on air last year saying, listen, I really liked Amon Ra St. Brown in USC. I really thought he was a day two player. I liked his skill set. You know, you mentioned Cooper Cup before, like that's who Matt Harmon, you know, has comped him to since his reception perception in college, uh, like, you know, a, a reduced version of Cooper Cup. But he he is showing things and, and there's no more who cares. Now draft capital doesn't matter. Like you, you perform like this. I don't care if you're UDFA around one or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter anymore. It's not like he has to prove himself anymore. Last year, there might have been some thoughts of like, oh, he was the only guy left to, to get targets. Some of that production, you know, maybe wasn't, you know, legitimate in terms of stuff like that. But now what he's doing now is he's now the guy there. And when Jamison Williams comes in, he's not going to pull a lot of work from from Amon Ra St. Brown. He's going to pull it from the secondary pieces. So yeah, they'll DJ be put- Chark. 
Yeah. Exactly. DJ Chark, a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah, maybe a target comes away from a monitor. But he's going to be an integral part of that. And last year, I was very reluctant to buy all in. He was a day free, you know, wide receiver. I said, you know, they're probably going to go out and invest in free agency and then the draft. And they did, right? They got DJ Chark. It wasn't a massive, but it's still one year, 10 million. They invested with a bold, bold trade up. So they knew they needed more assets. So yes, when they did the DJ Chark thing, when they did the bowl trade up to get Jamison Williams and you added on the Hawkinson and, and DeAndre Swift, I was concerned that he was going to kind of fall down to be a wide receiver three. You know, I had him in my dynasty rankings when we did it just a couple of weeks ago in like that 34 to 35 range before the NFL season started. But now you quickly realize the end of the year wasn't a fluke. And not that I thought it was a fluke, but I just thought that maybe he wasn't going to command that many targets. And now I think you're starting to see, I think maybe, T, I think maybe we're overvaluing TJ Hawkinson and we're overvaluing how much they're going to incorporate the wide receivers. I mean, the running backs, because they don't really need to because of how good he is. He's such a guy that he's similar to Cooper Cup. He's not explosive in terms of like time speed and he's not like, you know, going up and winning at the catch point like a Mike Evans or DK Metcalf, but he's very much winning and playing like Cooper Cup does. Great route runner, great technician, you know, and he he can do things. He can make plays after the catch with, you know, the way the vision he has on the field. You combine that all and he he's now became a guy that, yes, Top 15, top 20, that's where I'm on Ross St. Brown. Because I look at my list right now, and I think to myself right now, if I had DK Metcalf and the, the unknown of the Seattle situation at the quarterback position, would I trade him right now for Amon Ross St. Brown? And I might. And right now I have DK still at 14, and I have Amon Ross at 20. Same thing with Chris Godwin. Same thing with Terry McLaurin, who I think his stock is going down. I haven't had the guts to move it yet because I wanted a little bit more time to pass. But... I think now the question becomes is I have a Mon Rock kind of grouped with the top guys from this class because I do think Drake London and Garrett Wilson's ceiling is very high. I think those guys can quickly position themselves over the guys like we're talking about, McLaurin, Pittman, you know, DK Metcalf. I, I you know, and maybe DJ Moore's gotta come back down. Like we all thought this was gonna be DJ Moore's explosion explosive year where maybe a little bit regression on touchdowns finally going his way, but maybe he's not, maybe he's just a really good 11, 1200 yard receiver, but it's going to be like a four touchdown type of guy, four or five touchdowns. So maybe some of these guys are a little bit too high and there's room for Amon Ra to even keep climbing up there. So, so I, you know, totally what I said last year doesn't apply anymore, right? Like we, we adjust, He's now a buy in Dynasty. He's a guy that I'd want on my team. I wouldn't be looking to sell high because I, I even with Jamison Williams when he gets there, I don't think that's going to take away from how good Amon Ra can be. Eventually, they're going to have a quarterback that they're going to have an explosive offense there when they get a quarterback that can really you know win at all areas of the field uh, down the line. But even now, Goff can 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 produce multiple fantasy receivers. We saw it at his time with the Rams. Uh, so even if he's there for a little bit longer, I, I don't think that's a, you know, something that we should be overly concerned about. Yeah. I, I, you, I think you, the parts that you mentioned there too, is to, to pull them up, you have to put other guys down and it's hard. There's a lot of really good talent and there's a lot of really good players. And I think you're just, you just have to consider him as, um, a 
an integral productive piece in fantasy young and probably going to play a big role for a while. Like wherever that lands him, if that's wide receiver 12 or that's wide receiver 24, there might actually not be that big of a difference for between what his actual worth is to you or to your fantasy team. So that's just kind of wherever he's put in there, just know it's a big tier. It's a big tier of productive players and you want as many of those on your roster as you can get them. And so if you can add him into that list with everybody else for your roster, or if you've already got him, um, great. And, you know, and again, just talking about talented players, right. Who's, who's pushing who up and who's pushing who down. Uh, we had Jalen Waddle come in and just absolutely produce a massive Tyreek Hill type game, right? 11 catches, two touchdowns, 170, 80, 90 yards, whatever it was. I mean, the you'd think that if if uh, Waddle did that, Tyreek would have had a one of the quieter games, except they basically were, uh, you know, a tandem out there just one-upping each other um, over and over and over again. Um, so I think, I don't know if I'm where you are, but where's where's your take on Waddle? So so my take on Waddle is he was a guy I already had in my you know top five before this year started, and I I feel like the I feel like we're not looking at him the same way we are looking at Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and I'm not really sure why his first year I, maybe because he caught a lot of like shorter passes last year, but the the, the thing about that is that was more scheme based to protect Tua potentially last year. We already know Waddle. Waddle is going to be a big play threat. He, I, you know, he was the closest thing to Tyree kill. There was of all the people that I, they always want to throw out that he's like Tyree kill. He's that Waddle was the closest thing. So it's just a matter of when, not if, and we're starting to see it, he's going to make big plays. He's going to, he's going to have those game breaking plays just like, Tyree Kill does. He's going to win vertically like Tyree Kill does. I mean, no one's as good at it right now as Tyree Kill. But when Tyree Kill is no longer the GOAT when it comes to that, it's going to be Jalen Waddell, I think, is one of the best downfield vertical receivers in the game. But I think he's also rounded out his game a lot quicker than I ever anticipated. He's super young. I'm not sure... For me, he's now number three. We had this conversation last week. I love A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's number four for me. But A.J. Brown is a little bit older. He's had a little bit more durability issues. I'm not sure I would I, – I don't think I could say that I'd want A.J. Brown ahead of Jalen Waddell if I was doing a startup dynasty draft tomorrow because I think what he's showing in one, his rookie year, 105 catches, and now what he did yesterday, what he's already doing early in this, you know, his, his second season – is phenomenal. So I think he should not be, I think it's right there. I think, I think he's going to work his way. Now maybe the targets aren't going to be there and the production every single week. But I think to me, Chase Jefferson and Waddle based on their age, to me are starting to form the three guys that right now I'd, I would prefer to have at the top of my dynasty ranks. And to me, having Lamb over Waddle would make no sense anymore. And we talked about that last week. Waddle has already been better than C.D. Lamb. He had higher draft capital than C.D. Lamb. I don't see a case for why anybody at this point would still have C.D. Lamb ahead of Jalen Waddle, based on what we've seen, based on what, what their draft pedigree was, and, and the reputation of each of them coming out. Oh, man. You know, A.J. Brown's only 25 years old, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, and, I know. And, and and what we've seen from him. So I I mean, I don't know. That to me, AJ Brown is in a tier with uh Jefferson and Chase. I'm and, fine. And that's my top four. Give me any and, of them and I'd be very happy. I think Waddles, you know, I think Waddles in the knocking on the door with with other players. I, again, I mean it's pretty hard to argue against someone who had 40 fantasy points last week, but it's not going to happen all the time. And, and he is amazing. But one of my other stock risers are just these vets who just, I mean, they're really good players. You people are writing them off way too quick. Tyreek Hill. He just matched Waddle's production. He's amazing. He's 28. He's got three to four more years of production. You know who you're not going to predict anything in the NFL four years out. You know, um, people, people like four years ago, no one would have predicted Russell Wilson would not be a Seahawk, right? He was a franchise quarterback. And, um, you know, it's Cooper Cup, like he is breaking fantasy worse than Amon Ross St. Brown is. Like he's, he had a Jerry Rice level season, like Jerry Rice's career peak level season last year. And he's basically just picking up where he left off. So, I mean, again, those guys are older. They're my stock up players too, but it it's not anything against Waddle. Again, it's just who you're putting down. Um, and I, until, until I see, you know, Waddle be, and I don't, it, I hate to say this because like it, he's got Tyreek Hill on that team for a while. Like, but I was going to say until he's the focal point of an offense, like, is he going to be able to get enough um, to be consistent enough for your team? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe he can coexist and, you know, 50% of the targets will go to them every week and it won't be the same. Again, volume. We talked about the Jets volume. You're not going to see Miami score four quarter, four quarter touchdowns with two with throwing 50 passes and six touchdowns. And it just, that's not going to happen every week either, right? Like McDaniel is a run, you know, offensive coordinator, right? He's like the run scheme coordinator from San Francisco. Um, I mean, maybe I'll maybe I'll get burned with this. I again, we're talking about players you want on your team. It's pretty hard to argue against that. And hey, if if you're saying that you can pick up Jalen Waddle at half the cost that it would take you to pick up a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson, well, hey, I mean. I, I'm on board for that. Like if you say I could get Jalen model and another good piece, you know, maybe a 23 first for this great one running back class. Okay. I buy that. Um, but until like, until we see him dominate at a way that at a level that we've seen Justin Jefferson just absolutely dominate his passing offense. Like everything goes to him. Jamar Chase, even with T. Higgins there, like Jamar Chase is, he's the guy. Like Cooper Cup, everything is going to him. Devontae Adams, everything is going to him. You, you'll need to see that maybe Jamar Chase level efficiency. And maybe it's there. I I, I see that argument. Um, I haven't bought in that that far yet. But yeah, and and I and I think that's justifiable. To me, it's just a combination of what I thought about him pre-draft. 100 receptions his rookie year and not even winning the way I think we expected. Because I think if somebody would have asked me what were your expectations for Jalen Waddell his first year, I would have said 65 catches, 
you know, but he was going to, you know, he was going to have four or five big ones, you know, that were going to be like his headline, not a hundred. So the fact that he's already became a guy who could handle a heavy target share, knows that maybe that decreases this year and he doesn't get back to a hundred. I have a feeling they're both going to get towards a hundred. And I think it's going to be very much a chase and Higgins in terms of like production. Uh, I don't think there's going to be this big gap between Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle by the time the season's over. Uh, I get, I just think for me, yes, those other guys have been more dominant in the way they've won early in their career, but Jalen Wilde's only in the start of his second year. I think he can quickly, and so far, so, so far this year, he's showing more dominance. He's showing, you know, ability to put up a massive game like he did yesterday. Uh, so, so I think he's close. I think he's close. And as much as I, and listen, you're talking about a guy who, is in the running to be the, the, you know, the president of the AJ Brown fan club until maybe he became an Eagle. And now I got to kind of hate him a little bit as a Giants fan. You know, we've seen AJ Brown for three years, right? He's statistically hasn't had that monster year. 11 touchdowns is the best, but only a thousand yards. Part of it's been due to injuries. We've seen him dominate in moments, but we also haven't even seen him put that stretch together. Now, I think we all think it's coming this year and I'm right there with you. I think, I think, I think he's going to have one of those, 1300 yard 100 catch you know you know type seasons this year but he's also got to show it too a little bit we've seen him dominate more but we haven't seen it over a prolonged stretch so some people might even think four is too high for aj brown but i'm also kind of buying where i think this is healthy for him right and stay healthy for him and yeah that's i don't typically knock people too much for health that's just my my way of doing things you know you're injury prone until you're not and players get injured and they have rough seasons. And sometimes that comes back to back and then, and then they don't, you know, then they're Keenan Allen or Frank Gore. But, um, you know, so for me, it's just, what do I see these, what do I see this player do as like a talent on the field? But again, it's, if you really wanted to split hairs, right? Like when you're, when you're talking about something like this, my, my go-to move in fantasy is to, you know, just if, we're talking about two really good players and they're both going to score me fantasy points for the next three to five years. I'll just trade one for the other. And if someone's willing to give me stuff on top of it, then that's, that's the move I'll do. And Waddle probably, like I said, that's probably an aggressive ranking for Waddle. I think because Tyreek's there, he's probably a little bit more, maybe not off this week, maybe way to a week. He catches like three passes for, you know, 50 yards or something, but he might be a little bit more, he's definitely more attainable than, you know, obviously the, the chase and, and, you know, Jefferson group, but he might even be more attainable than like the next five or six guys. In fact, you know what I mean? So he could be a guy that as good as he is and as young as he is, somebody might be concerned if, you know, if he has one or two down weeks because Tyreek's, you know, sees the bulk of the the heavy do- lifting that week and, and you know, they don't have to throw as much as they do. He's also, I think, a little bit more gettable, like you said, than some of these other guys uh, who we know are the number ones this year because I kind of think people probably don't properly value T. Higgins for the same reason because he's got Jamar Chase there. So, so I think some of these guys that are – like technically the number twos, you know, in their offense, but they're so young and they're, there's still room to grow. I, I think they're, I think they weren't being in that top 10, you know, over some guys. And I think they might be a little bit more attainable now than, than where they're going to be. Uh, 
any other real quick hitters? I know for me, Christian Kirk stock up, you know, Jacksonville is making people look stupid. They took a lot of pushback when they gave him that contract. And I know Pete Prisco has got a lot of connections, a CBS sports writer who, who, you know, has a lot of connections to Jacksonville over his time. I think he lives down there. You know, he said like, they believe he's on the verge of being like a a star wide receiver. They're paying him because of what they think he's going to be, not what he's done in the past. And so far, that comment by Pete and what the Jaguars paid him is he's producing at a level that maybe he was underutilized in Arizona. Cliff Kingsbury, not, you know, not a guy who I think is a very good coach. Uh, And I think we're seeing that at times and Kyler Murray bails him out a lot, but Christian Kirk is a guy who he's very young too. He's been around a while, but he's only like 25 years old too. So he's, or 26 maybe. So he's a young guy who I think, you know, there is room to grow. And I think he, is not very high in people's dynasty ranks that he's still a guy uh, I'm looking at, he's only 25. He doesn't even turn 26 till November. So, you know, half the season or more, it's his 25, you know, age 25 season. So I think stock up on him. I've, I've liked the way they're using him aggressively. Uh, You know, Cam Akers, we last week was stocked down this week, back, back up a little bit Mm -hmm. because that kind of leveled it out a little bit. Uh, And Pat Fryer moved, I moved him ahead of TJ Hawkinson in my tight end dynasty ranks uh, after the top tier guys, because, I think the thought of Hawkinson has always been greater than than what he's mm-hmm. produced, and I think Fryermuth at a at a younger age is already like he's just he's getting targets and making Red things happen. Targets too, yeah. He he's just getting them earlier, and Hawkinson's always been what he could be, and we've been waiting to see and put it together. And Fryermuth's already pushing the envelope, where he's just he's demanding and basically by by his play. That I think they're close, but I think if I was starting right now, I'd slightly prefer Fryermuth over Hawkinson. So stock up there on him. Any, any final thoughts on either any of those guys or, or one or two other guys you yeah. want to bring up? I, I like around that. that you brought up Kirk. I mean, he's maybe just going to be the next Brandon Cooks. You know, when Brandon yep. Cooks finally retires, you know, in another three to five years, who knows? <laughs> These guys are just underrated producers. But uh, we made it an hour and fifteen, and um, we have to just bring up the elephant in the room. So. I'm pouring one out for Trey Lance. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing him just prove doubters wrong. You know, we had all those questions. There's the Jimmy G thing. There's everything swirling. There's him or Hurts. Like, I wanted to have that argument and that conversation. But, oh, man. Well, I I think at least the quarterback controversy is over. We'll see what happens to Jimmy G. Probably tag him, trade him, and move over to Lance when he's healthy but um but then you've you know you've still got the development curve he has to go through that no matter how much i love the guy you have to go through a development curve as an nfl player it could be really fast it could be justin herbert like it it could take a little while it could be Jalen hurts like or even longer but you know you're not gonna you're not gonna escape that and and you're gonna see the ups and downs you started seeing it a little bit um just it's a bummer because this is a guy who needs reps. And I think that's why see, that's why San Francisco is willing to say, listen, he might not give us the best chance in weeks one for weight to be the best, you know, to win games as much as Garoppolo would, but he gives us the higher ceiling and he needs reps, right? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think my memory is wrong, right? He barely played that last year, right? The COVID year. Like that was like he 
did he play one game and then he shut it down? And I think I, I thought that was Trey Lance. So like he barely played his last year in college. He barely played his rookie year, a little bit here and there. And now this is second year in the NFL. You know, he played one game. You know, so like it's going to be now four years since he took like actual like a large volume of reps. That's a long time, and he was already a guy who 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 needed development. So yeah, there's it's it's going to be really tricky the situation they're in, and it's just going to have to be like okay, like we still believe in you, but we're just going to have to say here it is, and you know just live with the ups and downs, and and hope they can kind of tread water as as he as he finds you know himself a little bit and gets back into a groove of playing football because it's it's really been so long. Like the same way we have like questions about what how good Deshaun Watson's going to be when he comes back just because it's been so long you know for Lance it's even a different question right because he's never done it even at the NFL level but you know these guys are creatures of habit some of these guys right like it not playing like legitimate meaningful football reps for four years is basically what we're now looking at for Trey Lance it would have been like four calendar years you know, by the time he gets out there next September and starts playing like real reps. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It kind of stinks, you know, you know, like you said, the the quarterback controversy, which I don't think was ever going to be a thing unless he was really bad. Uh, But, you know, it's just a bummer that a young quarterback with that type of, you know, we're seeing what Jalen Hurts is morphing into, and we kind of wanted to start the clock, right, on 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 Trey Lance. Trevor Lawrence played one of his best games ever this past year. Like these guys that, you know, we really, really liked coming out, you know, we wanted to kind of see him get that opportunity, you know, and, and now we're going to have to wait another year. And, you know, for him, questions will linger. Justin Fields, I think questions will linger. Zach Wilson, we already knew questions were going to linger, and now he was injured, and we got to wait – for him to get back on the field. So some of these guys, it's injury. Some of these guys, it's just awful scheme like Chicago and, and still not really even giving fields a chance. And then and then Lawrence right now looks like the guy who's starting to show signs, you know, and still I'm sure going to be up and down at times. And Mac Jones is looking like the other way. And maybe that's the loss of McDaniels and the insertion of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, which isn't going to do any young quarterback, you know, any favors there. So we'll, we'll, we'll follow these young quarterbacks. It's unfortunate for Trey Lance, uh, but hopefully a year from now we're talking about him, you know, blowing up in week one or week two of the NFL season. So Jeff, anything else to, to round it out? No, I think we're, I think we're good. I got to end on that note and um, maybe come back on it. Uh, uh, well, I do think this 49ers might actually have a better season, but uh, the future is compromised. Yes. And that, and I think they knew that they knew that Jimmy, like I said, they knew that Jimmy might offer them a better season, but, but how far can he take you? And I think they were hoping that Lance ride the, the ups and downs of Lance, but then maybe by the playoffs, his playmaking ability could be something that maybe gets him over the hump in in a game, you know, close late game, you know, like where his playmaking ability, you know, could could have been the difference and could have been that X factor. Uh, and now that kind of goes on pause for another year. So there it is, guys. NFL Dynasty Report, NFL Rookie Report, Debbie Slant, and NFL Draft Stock Report for this week. If you're enjoying the content, please get over to the website, SSFootball.com. Easiest and fastest way to get there. Check out our premium content tab for all our premium notebooks for $9.99. You get access to so much. If you have any questions, reach out to Jeff or myself on Twitter. 
So, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.